don't think it's necessarily prideful to feel like you want to reclaim that because really it's kind of the antithesis of an egocentric way of approaching scripture because what we often do is we sit down and we, we, we pull a text out of context and we say, well, what's in this for me? Because we don't understand the bigger story, right? And that's part of what the lectionary does. It, it gives you an Old Testament text, a psalm, a gospel text, and an epistle or a letter from uh, attributed to Paul, although he probably didn't write them all. Uh, and, and showing you a common theme throughout them or how they're referencing the same event or person or place. And a lot of times if we just read one out of context, we don't see those connections. And so since we don't see the bigger connections, we refer it back to ourselves and make it a self-help manual. And if it, the Bible says anything, I think it says it's not all about you, especially the gospel. So if you're doing that, you're kind of running counter to the ethos of the Bible to begin with. So we have to be given that thing that makes us feel like we're part of something bigger. Um, and I think that's actually a very important part of the, of the Christian experience or the gospel, uh, the gospel uh, emphasis. Who would have thought we'd still be here? Last year was so crazy. I mean, from politics to earthquakes to fires to everything, it is a good thing my eschatological view, eschatological, oh my God, my end times views are not what they used to be, or I might be chicken little today. What does the Bible mean for you? How should you read it weekly? Maybe what the heck is the lectionary? There are so many things about my faith that I know so little about. The lectionary being one, year A, B, and C being two, and oftentimes context for the scriptures that I read being three. Today's guest is Christian Pyatt. He's written a book. This is year, the second year that he's done it, uh, year C. Uh, he started with year B on surviving the Bible for 2019. And the breakdown of reading the text throughout the year is done a bit differently. I find it refreshing to have a, a fresh set of eyes and new life breathed into text for me that sometimes gets stale. So I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Let's roll the tape on this Christmas Eve recorded conversation with Christian Pyatt. Christian Pyatt, thank you so much for coming on to the Can I Say This at Church podcast on this beautiful Christmas Eve morning at recording. Big thank you to both your wife and your family for allowing you to get away, and also to mine upstairs if you're listening, hon. I love you. But welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, man. Sorry it's taken a while for us to get it, you know get it worked out. You know what? It's fine. It's life. But I really wanted to make sure that I talked to you before 2019, considering the book that we're talking about or the devotion that we're talking about is for 2019. And so I yes. thought that that would definitely be, that would definitely be helpful before we get into that content though. I always like to start for first time listeners of anyone that's never been on the show before a bit about you. And so can you give me just in a, in a handful of minutes, the story of what makes Christian Christian kind of, you know, the faith that you started in as a, as a child and all the way up to whatever you happen to practice now. Sure. Well, uh, I was raised Southern Baptist uh, in Texas, and my dad was not a church person at all. So I just went with my mom, partly because I was mama's boy and partly because she would bribe me with donuts. So <laughs> uh, I would go, and uh, it was just a part of my upbringing uh, coming up, and it was it was good. You know, I went to VBS and... Sunday school and the camps in the summertime, whatever, you know, I did all that stuff. But when I started getting to a point, uh, you know, I was, I was in this school where they really taught us critical thinking, uh, rhetoric, debate. Uh, and so I started kind of analyzing things in a different way. And I started looking at these 
this notion that this was the only place in my life in church where I was supposed to just believe everything literally, whether it made sense or not, uh, and not ask questions. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. The rest of the world doesn't work that way. Why does it work that way here? And so I would ask some questions anyway. And long story short, I got thrown out at age 17. Uh, <laughs> of the school get, or of the church? The church, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got thrown out of the church. Uh, my youth minister literally threw a Bible at me and uh, invited me not to come back. Um, <laughs> he, he was armed with the word in, in a manner of speaking, I guess. And uh, <laughs> so I, I left religion for 10 years and didn't look back. Uh, in fact, you know, I've been told that not only was I, uh, I was actually worse than an atheist because not only did I not believe God correctly, believe in God correctly, I was dragging other people down with my questions and doubts. Mm. And uh, so it was best that I didn't toxify the water anymore. Uh, I guess I was brackish, uh, as the Bible would say. <laughs> and uh, so I was poisoning the well, and so I had to get out. Uh and so I did for 10 years. Uh, I just decided that I was anything but Christian, you know, ABC. And then I met Amy, my wife, who, if you listen to the Homebrew Culture cast, uh, she's my co-host. She's a pastor. Uh, and at the time, she was a, a youth regional youth minister for Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And I was like, well, that's going to be awkward uh, since I'm not a Christian or anything. And I'm not really sure how I feel about this God thing. And I was still very angry and bitter, you know, about the whole religion stuff. And, uh, but through a various series of events that were very uh, revelatory and kind of broke me open in a number of ways that were very unexpected uh, over that next year, uh, I, I gave it a try again. And over, over time, I real came to realize that those, uh, those scars were my story now. And it's not that they exclusively define me, but those war wounds that I had had helped uh, change the course of my story in a way that, uh, that, that made it uniquely mine. Mm -hmm. And that I, I realized there was an entire tribe, a tribe of people out there who had gone through much the same thing. And so I kind of found my voice uh, in that way as well, speaking to the, questioning the disaffected the the skeptical the marginalized the others uh within and beyond organized religion so that's kind of where i've stayed ever since to play on that metaphor you had a brackish water i would i would echo a lot of those sentiments especially because i'm also from texas I actually grew up in midland was born in odessa and uh the the I haven't thought about it right until just now, but if that type of faith is a brackish kind of water, it's it's a lot like the Dead Sea that everyone says it's going to kill you. You know, this is you're going to be awful, but we all just float on the surface. And then while we're up here, let's talk about things. Let's get personal. Let's talk about it because nobody's sinking. Which actually, come to think of it, I think that's what grace looks like. Um, but that's an entire that's an entirely different topic. Two New sermon series. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, you're welcome. You can take that one. I'm no preacher. You can take no, that. Neither one. am I. <laughs> um, I. I would be an. I think I'd be an awful teacher because I like sarcasm too much, and that's just not. I don't. I don't know. I think you can get away with that in a youth group, but maybe not at a at a maybe church. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you can. Maybe that's maybe that's the church that the world needs. Do you exactly. still do you still have that Bible? The one that was thrown at you? No, no, he. I, I didn't really want to have anything to do with it. Oh, it man. was his. It was a big floppy King James Bible with the you know the annotations and everything. I was just so thinking it would it would be great to you know package it up, nice ribbons, and just mail it to him. It just as a yeah, <laughs> just as a hey, I actually do still like this book. Um, here's a copy of this devotion that I've written about it. And and yeah. then here's the one that inspired it. So I appreciate you, you know, Mister Youth Pastor Y or whatever. That's, that's right. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be actually be very uh, very fitting. And you know, I I'm actually to a point of being grateful uh, for the story uh, and the course that it's taken, hard as it was at times. Uh, I don't believe that God made this happen to me. I don't believe that kind of shit. But um, uh, I do believe that God gives us the capacity to find beauty in the midst of the of the garbage. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And not that evangelical church is garbage by any means, but it was a pretty shitty situation. And so to be able to come out of that and for life and beauty to to emerge from it over time uh, is very, uh, that's good news. You know, that's gospel to me. Definitely. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for the, the course of things I've said as they've taken themselves. A couple questions that I've asked everyone from Texas because I, I have an inherent bias. And so the first question, and I don't know, where are you at in Texas? Uh, now we are in Fort Worth. I grew up in Dallas. There we I go. In Austin for a little while as well. Well, I know that I know that both of those cities, those big cities, this will work for. And so when I left Texas, In and Out Burger was just a California thing. And the last time I went home, which was March, I went to Dallas actually to visit some family, and um, there was an In and Out Burger there. And so my question is, which is the correct burger? Is it In and Out or is it Whataburger? Well, I mean, that depends. Do you go with natives or imports? Uh, because you know, Whataburger, I think, has been here since the beginning. Yeah. They were here since. Uh, all I can tell you is I've been to a few Whataburgers since I've been back and I have not been to an In-N-Out. Uh, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> I, d- I don't know that I would go to a Whataburger. It's, it's entirely too greasy. But I feel, oh. I feel like... I feel like... You know, you're insulting my family if if you say that In and Out Burger is better. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I mean that could be your job. You can do that since you're from Texas, but uh, I can't. And, and you know what? There's something to be said for a burger animal style. So I will. I will. <laughs> those in and out fans. Christian, you've written a book, uh, which is why I had you on, entitled, I believe, "Surviving the Bible." Correct. Mm-hmm. So, yes. two questions about it. A. Why does it matter that I survive the Bible? Is it possible to read it in such a way that I can't survive it? And B, what the heck is year C? I have no idea what that is. And I noticed that this one says, you know, year C or calendar C. I don't even know what that means. Right. (laughs) Well, um, I feel like I kind of almost literally survived the Bible, you know, after having ducked he threw it in my head, man. He I could have I could have been out cold. It's a big floppy King James. Uh so I, I survived it. Uh, but what, what I mean by that is, like, a lot of us, uh, if you ever decide you're going to start uh, reading the Bible, you start in Genesis, and by the time you get to Leviticus or something like that, you know, or even Numbers, you're, you're just dead in the water. You just don't ever make it. And, uh, you know, it's because we don't really know ways to access the Bible. The Bible wasn't written that way, so why do we read it that way? Uh, which makes intuitive sense to people, but they don't know how else to access it. So, you know, I want to give them plain English, uh, accessible ways to look at this that don't echo the cliches of devotionals past, that don't just live on that surface, as you were talking about, uh, and, and that actually give you a, a roadmap if you want to understand how you can also be a, a questioning person of faith or a skeptic. Or, you know, someone who's just kind of living on the outskirts of the, the towing the line, uh, you know, uh, identity of, of mainline of, of, you know, the status quo of Christianity. Uh, and you can still there's still something there uh, of substance. So so it's a way to survive getting through the whole Bible and and being, you know, and actually being made better for it. And I don't mean that in a Joel Osteen, uh, (laughs) what's in the Bible for me kind of way at all. Um, But we, we do all, I think, aspire to be better people. And uh, you know, since for most of us, the Bible is, is a big part of our cultural identity and story. We should probably understand it. Even if we know that the way it was taught to us uh, isn't really on a gut level, what we believe that God had intended. So, uh, so there's that for surviving the Bible. Um, and, and as far as not surviving it, what I would say is just giving up and exceeding the meaning that you've been given by someone else uh, as to what it means and not being able to decide for yourself what it means. That to me is not surviving the Bible. That's, uh, that's an accession of your power of your own authority uh, in engaging the text to someone else, uh, which uh, is, you know, for some people, they're very comfortable with that. For mm-hmm. me, 
I want to know uh, how to engage it on my own, in my own way, in my own life, on my own terms. Uh, that's kind of what the Protestant Reformation was about. It was about breaking us away from that intercessory way of, of engaging the Bible, like someone else has to tell us what it means. No, they don't. Uh, and so for the last 500 years, we've been encouraged to do that. And then in some re- weird ways, more recently, we're like, nah, actually, I'm going to tell you what this means again, because this is getting a little too far afield. Uh, and I disagree with that. I think we should all engage in it on our own, uh, for sure. Yeah. Or in small communities. Uh, as far as what you're seeing is, there's this uh, the 50 cent uh, theology word for it, the churchy word for it is it's the part of the lectionary. Mm-hmm. The lectionary is a three-year cycle that goes through the bulk of the Bible uh, over, over those uh, 156 uh, Sundays uh, or weeks in three years. So you've got your A, B, and C. And I started it with your B just because that's when the, the contract with Fortress Press started. So we'll go year B, year C, and then your A. Um, hmm. So it really doesn't matter. You don't have to start with A, uh, obviously. Um, you can just jump in any time, and it's not a it's not a linear thing like you're trying to go from A to Z. That's one of the misnomers, I think, of our contemporary Western culture, that everything is linear and you're starting at a beginning and you're getting to the end. Because what happens with the lectionary once you get to the end of year C is you start back at A again. Uh, it's a cyclical experience of life, which I think is much more fitting to the way the universe works. they the same texts so like uh, uh, so next year at year a is that the same thing as 2000 and i guess 17 is that is that is that math right i think that's right yeah by and large they're going to be similar uh it may change a bit from year to year because the calendars don't quite work the same Mm -hmm. um but but yeah you know as as like lent and advent and things like that those are part of the liturgical calendar uh which the lectionary follows so you've got Pentecost, you got Advent, you got Lent, you got uh, uh, you know you got Epiphany, and all these things. And a lot of people don't even know really what all that shit means. So that's part of the whole idea is demystifying all this fancy but stuff that has intimidated you out of uh, identifying uh, with with Scripture and and sort of embracing the gospel uh, for yourself. I think so many people have no idea what Epiphany and well, they all know what Pentecost is. They all know what Easter is and they all know what Christmas is. But I know growing up, Advent was a thing that until the last two or three years, honestly, wasn't a thing to me. It was just whatever. It is what it is. I'm not, I'm not dealing with all of this, uh, Mm -hmm. which I feel like I was cheated out of a portion of my spirituality that I'll never be able to recuperate from or get back. I feel like I'm constantly playing catch up with some of the inner work that I should have been called to do. 10 years ago that I'm just starting to do now. Maybe that's prideful. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the wrong way to look at it, but I do know that that's how I currently feel about it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. Cause yeah, I knew what Advent was cause we put the wreath out, but we didn't really talk about it. We mm-hmm. just lit. I just want the pieces of chocolate behind that calendar thing. That's really exactly. what I'm interested in. That's what it was all about. Right. <laughs> um, and it was the torturous month before, before Christmas, but we didn't really consider what, you know, that Advent is a time of waiting and that, that uh, uh, Epiphany is a time of enlightenment and, and coming together and that Pentecost is a time of revelation and, and dissipating back again, you know, so you've got the coming together and then you've got the going out, uh, the inspiration and the going out and you have Lent, which is a preparing time. And these are themes that echo throughout our lives and seasons of our lives. Oh, did I just say that? Gross. Uh, through period of our lives. You don't like uh, seasons? Yeah, seasons of our lives. It sounds like a bad soap opera or something. It's, it's the Telemundo version of Days of Our Lives. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Seasons <laughs> of our lives, yeah. It, they're important to understand, and if we can, uh, if we can resonate with those, I, I think, and I don't think it's necessarily prideful to feel like you want to reclaim that, because 
really it's kind of the antithesis of an egocentric way of approaching scripture because what we often do is we sit down and we 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 pull a text out of context and we say well, what's in this for me because we don't understand the bigger story mm-hmm. right and that's part of what the lectionary does it, it gives you an old testament text a psalm a gospel text and then an epistle or a letter from uh, attributed to paul although he probably didn't write them all uh, and, and showing you a common theme throughout them or how they're referencing the same event or person or place. And a lot of times if we just read one out of context, we don't see those connections. And so since we don't see the bigger connections, we refer it back to ourselves and make it a self-help manual. And if it, the Bible says anything, I think it says it's not all about you, especially yeah. the gospel. Yeah. So if you're doing that, you're kind of running counter to the ethos of the Bible to begin with. So we have to be given that thing that makes us feel like we're part of something bigger. Um, and I think that's actually a very important part of the, of the Christian experience or the gospel, uh, the gospel uh, emphasis. If there is an, an easier way to get another Bible thrown at you, it's to start bad-mouthing Paul in America. You're going to have to really be careful, Christian. You got to be real careful. Oh, well, I'm in good company if I if I do because obviously a lot of people think he's a misogynist and a homophobic and and you know the thing about the thing about Paul, he's a perfect example like to me of how even I can come back and be uh, sort of a, a teacher or a leader uh, in within this whatever this movement is of trying to figure out who Jesus is. Um, because if Paul, who made a living knocking off Jews and Christians for a living, you know, his fellow people, uh, and whacking them for the Roman state, uh, can suddenly be used, uh, to, to yield this amazing content for scripture, uh, then maybe I have some hope as well. Yeah. And if David, David, who actually, you know, King David, who, who wants to get it on with his good friend's wife so he sends her off to uh, sends him off uriah her husband off to die uh, so he can get up in that uh if if the bible can use that for good as well if god can use that for good then maybe i've got a chance (laughs) Mm -hmm. my um my pastor said a few months ago and i can't remember the context and so i'll probably badly paraphrase this but he was talking about wrestling with you know, things that don't agree. And, and even when we don't agree with each other and he's like, guys, I'm telling you right now, if Paul and James can both exist in the new Testament, your opinion and my opinion can also both coexist because if we read them the way that they are, they don't agree on a lot, but they do agree on who Christ is. But outside of that, yeah, there's a lot of nuance there. And if they can agree and both be in scripture, you and I can also f- figure out how to, how to disagree and, and still be, Christians together and still do life together. I think sounds like you got a good church there. I I think so. Um, before we get into the meat of your book, I am curious. So January 20th lectionary text, um, you call it people to cake ratio. And I'm a big fan of the way that you title each, each reading, each reading, <laughs> each reading. So I, I know that that's a play on office space because I work at a big company and office space is one of my, <laughs> one of my absolute favorite movies, but I'm curious, <laughs> what is the proper people to cake ratio in, in a non-theological term like for you what is what's the ratio oh uh, the people to cake ratio you know really if if you want to talk in all uh you know seriousness about how to avoid panic in an office place you have to have at least 33 percent more cake than people <laughs> uh, because otherwise they will lose their minds worrying about whether or not there's enough cake for everybody. Uh, if you're not throwing half of it away, then my God, you might not have enough. Yeah, you didn't do it. Well, if, if that's not a concept of America, what else is? Exactly. Lord forbid yeah. we have just the right amount of cake. We need to have enough yes. to throw away an entire another person's cake. And for those that yes. have no idea what we're talking about, just hit pause, go to Amazon, and buy the movie Office Space. I promise you. It's the best two hours of your life that you'll spend over this Christmas holiday. Uh, enough Milton of that. It's the best. It yes. is fantastic. Um, yeah, blow this place up. So yep. uh, you do the beginning of each um, reading, very similar to a lot of devotions, where you've got a first reading, you've got a psalm reading, and then you've got a second reading. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time there, because I feel like anyone that picks up a devotion, if they picked it up, that's what they were expecting, something that isn't really going to make them think too far outside the box. 
But what really surprised me about each of your breakdowns is you do a section called Bible Decoded, Points to Ponder, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Digging Deeper and, and Heads Up. And so I'd like to break those apart a bit with the intention behind them and kind of how we use those as we work through this text, um, starting with Bible Decoded. Yeah, Bible Decoded uh, takes all the, the names of people, places, uh, and the church speak, and the old ancient words or historic words uh, that we don't really understand, uh, if we're honest. Uh, you know, we read about Uriah. A lot of us don't really know who that is or why he's talking about why Jesus is talking about a mustard seed or, you know, whatever. There are so many places and names and words in the Bible that we just don't get. And we're usually too intimidated by it to just say, stop and go, whoop, sorry, another word. I don't understand. Stop. Explain. So I do. I try to take those words. And if I'm being honest, a lot of these I'm reading and I'm like, what the hell does that mean? So I have to go look it up myself. It's not like I have this all sitting in my head and I'm just pounding it out like some expert on high. I have gone along and sort of figured these a lot of this out along the way, too. So hopefully you benefit from my grunt work and can just see, oh, that's what that means. That's the difference between a seraphim and a cherubim or whatever, uh, you know, and does it even matter? Um, so, so that's kind of the idea of the Bible decoded piece. So, you know, all the words that you're reading to begin with. So maybe it makes a little more sense. Does it make sense to, to read through the Bible decoded and then maybe go back and reread the text? I think so. Um, yeah. So I've got the, you know, the text in brief and the Bible decoded. Uh, if, if you want to try just reading it on your own first and see what you get from it, and then go through and read the, the text in brief and the Bible decoded piece. That's, that could be an interesting way to do it. If you're just really kind of going into it the first time and you're really undaunted by the idea of reading scripture at all, uh, you know, you can start with, with mine and, you know, it'll just say, Hey, you know, here in a sentence or two, here's some stuff about sort of the big picture of what this text is about. And here are the words you might want to know before you jump into it. Uh, then that's a that's a way to do it as well. I've seen people do it both ways, and people get different things from it. Yeah, and as people wrestle with these, how do they? Uh, is there a way to to further wrestle with the text to not do what you alluded to earlier, where we're just taking Christian's word that you know glory means this, or that cherubim means this, or that whatever the spirit of God means this? Um, is where what other places are you using? to help glean. All right. So here's what, here's what Holy Spirit actually is. And so as we read this word, here's everywhere that it's repeated. Here's why it's repeated. Here's the symbolism behind it. Um, Cause I don't, I want to make sure that, that we're, we're right in the line carefully between just using you as another figurehead pastor, quote unquote, from the pulpit saying, trust me, this is what it means. Go with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there's this beautiful thing called the internet and uh, you can look it up for yourself and see if you think I'm full of shit or not. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I really like uh, a site called Working Preacher, um, which, I mean, it obviously sounds like it's for pastors, but uh, it's actually got some really good uh, uh, reflections and, and, and sort of in-depth uh, analyses of different texts if you want to go deeper. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's one, uh, one thing that you can use to, to dig in a little further. Uh, you've also got uh, Christian century is a really good resource. It's a magazine, uh, that comes out, I think, I think like twice a month. Is that right? I don't know. Um, it sounds good to me. We could, yeah, all, we could yeah. also internet that one as well, but I'm yes. always reticent to just trust the internet because on the internet, Abe Lincoln is excited about the internet in that one meme that you see on Facebook all the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> don't get your news and don't get your biblical commentary from Facebook for God's sake. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, a Christian century is really good. Um, the liturgist podcast is really good. Um, not that they break down Bible speak, but, uh, but you know, that that's another one. 
um, and uh, yeah, Christian Century, working preacher, uh, the liturgist, and then really, I think the most valuable thing, instead of just looking to another so-called expert source, is this podcast. Absolutely, <laughs> Seth Price's <laughs> Can I Say Church podcast. Uh, and in, in addition to that, uh, small groups get into a small group and read this in a in a group because so there's this ancient ex- approach to uh, reading scripture called midrash that the Jew that the Jewish people used to do, and I guess they still do. And you had to read it in community. You had to read it several different ways. You had to look for the symbolic meanings, the theological meanings, the historic, uh, and and uh, you know, the, and all of those, the mystical meanings mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for multiple layers of truth in the text, and then you're supposed to debate or argue or discuss it. And you're not supposed to arrive at a ah, correct answer. If you did, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, um, it's multiple layers and levels of truth. So um, that I, I think is probably the healthiest way to do it. Um, as uh, what is it, uh, Dennis Miller used to say? But don't take my word for it. I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, so that 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 would be my suggestion. As I read through, so I did not read the entire calendar uh, of the book for the entire year, mostly because I'm enjoying actually keeping up with it. But I did dive in. I always read like the week of my birthday and a few others. And something that I've noticed is in points to ponder as you're, you know, expounding upon all right the text that you just read. Here's kind of how, you know, first first thoughts. Here we go. Let's deal with this. Is I can't decide if you like the Psalms or if you don't like the Psalms. Like I remember there's one where you're talking about doubting Thomas. And I think verbatim you say, you know, if you're like me, you aren't a big fan of Christian praise music, and this is also why the Psalms are annoying to me. And I, that's not exactly what you say, but it's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where, as, as we do points to ponder, am, am I wrong in hearing that in your writing, that, that you may or may not like the Psalms, or maybe you do now? I don't know. You know, you're the first person to actually pick up on that. Uh, I have a very, you know, you talk about how ambivalent people are toward Paul. Sometimes I have an ambivalent relationship toward the Psalms. Hmm. And I think part of it is because of what we've done with so much of it. We've pulled so much of it out of the pretty words that sound good out of context completely of why it's even there. And, and we've turned it into these really crappy, bad songs that are just bad production, bad with theology, and we sing them badly, and it just makes the Psalms look terrible. Uh, and and it's not, the Psalms are not just about, yay, Jesus is my boyfriend, you know, <laughs> well, there was no in Psalms. Um, you know, God is my boyfriend, God looks after me, I'm his, I'm his favorite, and, and all that. But that's what you would think in hearing a bunch of the songs that are based on Psalms. Uh, what I have enjoyed is learning a lot of the politics uh, that were going on in in that time. So you had the basically you had these tribes in that region, and you know David was uh, the king of of Israel, and uh, and there were all these other tribes, and there were always sort of changing alliances. So Judea and Syria would gang up on Israel for a while, and then. Israel and Judea would gang up on somebody else, and then they'd all get pissed off and turn on David. And so when you all of a sudden read these texts knowing the the games of risk that are playing, if you played that old board game, 
uh, you know, this, this sort of strategy of, of trying to get the upper hand and just survive and, and, uh, you know, fight out by, by sword whose God was right. Um, it's a lot more interesting and to really read how incredibly conflicted and imperfect this David guy really was. And yet God, he, and he and God had this really fundamentally rich relationship in spite of it all. Yeah. You know, it makes me think, okay, so when you're in a relationship or you're wrestling with God, it doesn't make your teeth whiter. It doesn't make you speak and do perfect things. Uh, it, it actually, it is even harder in some ways because you know better and then you feel like you have to do better. Um, you know, you can't plead ignorance, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I have a love-hate relationship with the Psalms. So very, uh, very astute observation there. Well, that's when you know, I guess, that people are really reading, as opposed to just just taking the way you give them freely and then do nothing have, with it. Yes, <laughs> so. I have had many uh, times when I've been interviewed, and and I'm like, did you open the book, <laughs> <laughs> or did you just yeah. look at the back cover? Well, there's another question, but I don't want to dive off into Star Wars. But I've heard you say uh. elsewhere that um, I forget which one you say is better, but I'm pretty sure you use Return of the Jedi as the be all end all in the book. But I know that no, that's no, not no. what you truly. Maybe I'm getting them backwards. Either way, I know you contradict yourself, but, but I can't remember. Probably. I can't remember. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Paradox matter. is beautiful, but no. The re- the fact is, it's just an empirical fact that Empire Strikes Back is the best of the first trilogy, and Return of the Jedi is the worst because when you start putting talking teddy bears in, you're going to take down the Empire. You've jumped the shark to a degree. So you also don't like the Care Bears, then? I'm not. I'm not happy with this amount of hate towards the bears. I, I cannot stand the Care Bears. <laughs> I cannot stand the Smurfs, the Care Bears. I don't even like My Little Pony. You can just mark it down. Mark I, it down today. <laughs> I, I, I just it. want to be really clear. I also yeah. don't like the Ewoks or any of the other things that you okay. just mentioned. <laughs> um, actually, so last night we were going to pick up my kids um, from someone at church that was letting them do like Christmas cookies at their house while my wife and I went out. And while I'm following in this minivan into the neighborhood, the little DVD that they have down, because they have a fancier car than I do, they were mm-hmm. watching like the original 1980s Transformers. And I really was sad that I couldn't listen to it. Like I could see it. And I'm like, I know that episode. That's a good one. And then I couldn't, I couldn't partake in it. It really pissed me off because that's much better. Anyway, we were way off the deep end there. So, um, <laughs> so, oh, I lost my train of thought. So how, one of the things, actually, no, this kind of works. So I feel like if I was you, I would figure out a way to make Transformers work its way into the lectionary text. Because one of the things that you do, I mean, you use Office Space, you use The Empire Strikes Back, you use Super Mario Brothers, you use music videos, you use so many different things to help shed new light on to the text in a contemporary way. And so is that easy to do, to take something that is used for an entirely different purpose and then roll it back in? To scripture you know it, it, i guess it's just how my brain works because in the last uh interview i did and they weren't i even asking me about the pop culture references per se but i think in a span of a half hour interview i brought up the matrix pulp fiction and star wars um and just because i think oh it's like that time when marcellus wallace's you know soul is in the briefcase and <laughs> full fiction <laughs> or, or when, you know, Neo says there is no spoon or, or whatever. Um, so it just, I don't know. That's just how my brain just kind of marbles around and, you know, pinballs around in there. Um, and I just, I've always liked seeing those connections. It's an anchor point for me because uh, the, the, I was horrible at history in school, believe it or not. I, I was so bad in, in history class. It was the one class I could barely pass. Really? Because it was so abstract the way it was taught. It wasn't relevant to me today. And then all of a sudden I took a history of like pol- a political science or government class or something. And I thought, God, this is going to be horrible. But the guy actually made it relevant to me today. And I was like, oh, that's what all that means. Suddenly it made sense to me today in some lived experience. So ever since then, my brain has kind of done that to make sense of 
things that uh, I've read or that have happened in the past. And so I just sort of, as I'm writing those devotionals, usually I just think, oh, this totally reminds me of blah, blah, blah. And that's, so that's what I'll write down. Are you happy uh, with the way that Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction uses the Ezekiel text? Do you feel good with, with his expounding on that? Well, I wouldn't say it was a particularly uh, healthy exegesis, <laughs> uh, but it was pretty badass. <laughs> it was. Um, so I got to give him that. <laughs> it was it was, it was great. Yeah. I, I, I rewatched that the other day and I was like, man, this is, this is really good now. I remember at the time feeling so taken aback that, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would use the Bible that way. And <laughs> and I'm at a point now that I'm like, that's clever. I like you. I like what you, you're so good. I like what you well, did there. And it's a great example of us just basically justifying what we are already doing in life by sanctioning it by God, which is something that David did a lot if you want to tie it back to scripture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that way, Jules was a lot like David in saying, oh, you know, this is working because God wants me to do it or justifying. I have to do this because I am an, I'm an emissary of God. Yeah. Uh, we do that all the time. What was your least favorite version in your C to write? Like what was your least favorite week that you had to deal with? You just, I just don't want to deal with this text or I don't want to deal with this part of the liturgical calendar. Well, normal season is always kind of weird, and and you can figure out why. I mean, it's called that, or ordinary time. They call it. Uh, you know, when you've got a, a a finite period like Lent or Advent, uh, you know, and you you have these very intentional themes that you're working on, uh, it it is usually more fruitful, I think. Uh, whereas sometimes I feel like the uh, the people who put the the lectionary calendar together were kind of grasping in some of those ordinary times, like, well, we got to put these together because uh, <laughs> we haven't talked about them yet and let them figure out what they, how they connect. Um, so sometimes that's hard. Um, I, sometimes there are just really brutal stories um, uh, like about, hmm, well, like Lot throwing his daughters out to be gang raped by a crazy, you know, mob outside his door or how, uh, you know, it says, thank you, God, for letting us you know, murder this entire other tribe of people because you love us better. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is hard to, to work through because it says what it says. Uh, but what it does is it challenges our fundamental approach of how we understand scripture. Is it is it? you know, that that was God revealing God's true self through scripture, or was it humanity trying to get at different aspects of God yeah. uh, in the media that we had? Um, and that there is a, uh, that, that maybe there is some of that that is, is, tr- has truth in it, but that doesn't mean that the thing, the claims made by the author are entirely, uh, in, encompassing of the nature of God. So those are, those are hard because that's a lot to fit in to say 1500 words, which I do for a week. Someone buys the book, they sit down January one, new year's resolution. I'm going to read the book. Well, I'm not going to read the book. I'm going to read the Bible and this book intentionally each week. And I'm going to meditate on these. What is the biggest thing that you hope someone walks away with on December 31st? Um, I would like to say from Advent to Advent, but we've already missed this Advent because tomorrow's Christmas. So What's the yeah. biggest, what's the biggest thing that you say, you know, all right, so when you're starting Advent in year A, um, which is not the way the alphabet works, but whatever, uh, yeah. <laughs> from C to A, uh, yeah. what's the biggest thing that you hope that someone that sits with this with intention and really wrestles with the text um, that they end with? I mean, one of the most rewarding things I've had people tell me is I have finally, your books finally allowed me to pick up the Bible again and not, and have and feel differently about it. But I think a lot of people feel very, uh, have very complicated feelings around scripture, or at least the way they've been, it's been used toward them or against them even. Yeah. So I hope that they feel that, uh, that the Bible has been liberated from that, uh, that, that the, those shackles, that, that burden of fear, anger, resentment uh, that they had, uh, that they look forward to it. 
that they see that there's some pretty exciting things to learn. Uh, I know that Bible and exciting don't really go together unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're the youth, the super hip youth minister from <laughs> saved, you know, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is rad. Let's get hyped for the Bible. Um, that sounds but, like a Texas version of Danny Lovett, but I went to Liberty. I don't know if you know who yeah. Danny Lovett is, but if you yes. know who that is, then there you go. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's just basically, uh, it's, it's hellfire and brimstone fundamentalism with better grooming, mm-hmm. uh, in a hipster t-shirt. And, and so it's not that it's, this is, this is meant to, to be like, wow, there, this, there's some beautifully deep waters here. And I just feel like I'm, I'm making some new connections. Um, and I want to, I want to talk to other people about it. I don't mean to go out and like convert win souls for Jesus, but like have some discourse to not be intimidated, uh, to, you know, into silence about, uh, what you think and what you believe and why you think it and why you believe it. Uh, because I think that happens a lot with mainliners and progressives and skeptics and people on the margins. You know, we say, I don't really think that the, the way you're talking about the Bible, the way you're using it is right, but I don't have enough tools to speak mm-hmm. to another perspective. I yep. really hope that they feel like that people feel like that they have some new tools and a new vocabulary and a new confidence to say, you know what? I actually, actually, there are other ways to interpret the scripture that you just used to to tell me that gay, that gay people are evil, mm. uh, and and I have I have something to back that up with, and I don't mean to get into a fight, but I mean, and it's not even to tell somebody they're wrong, but say you know I actually have another perspective, and here's why. Uh, that would be all I could ask for. No, I 100% agree, especially with the tool thing. If anything, I've learned this year the amount of reading that I've had to do to speak. Uh, at a level that I can even function with people such as yourself and, you know, N.T. Wright and other people um, has given me way more information that I could use if I felt like it in a way to to make people feel little. And I'm finding, though, that I never really want to do that. Like, that's not helpful. It's not beneficial. It's definitely not the heart of Christ. Um, and if anything, it turns people off from any form of religion, especially mine. Uh, right. So, which is, if you... If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook and and get in an argument with someone real quick, and then there we go. You talked about it earlier about getting not getting your your theological grounding in a Facebook post. Oh God! Although it's fun if you just want to post. I I find I just like to post memes over and over again. Doesn't really matter what you say. I just post the same meme until people yeah. be quiet. It just makes me laugh, and that's really all that, that's really all that I care about. Uh, where you would go. you point people to, Christian, to both engage with you to get the book, uh, and you know, just in general, uh, where would you send people to? I mean, to engage with me, I I am on social media. While I think there are a lot of uh, downsides to it, uh, it also is sort of a connective tissue of our culture today. Uh, So I am on Facebook, uh, hopefully not arguing with people, Uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I can go on there right now and and yell at you and so we can argue today if you want. Perfect. (laughs) Yes, I've had my coffee. I'm ready to go. I'm loaded. Um, so, you know, you can find me there. Christianpia.com is not very up to date, but you can reach me through that. If you have a, a question specifically, or if you're wanting like books signed or anything like that, um, you can look up all my books from you know, my memoir on parenting to the novel blood doctrine to banned questions about, you know, the Bible, Jesus and Christians, the, another series I did just all on, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. uh, Apple Books. Uh, you can order them in stores, uh, and and yeah, I'm pretty easy to find if you if you want to find me. Everywhere good books oh, no, oh, are sold. Yes, yeah. and uh, you know, Homebrewed Culture Cast, our podcast. We've been on a hiatus for a while, but uh, we are coming back, and so you can look up the Homebrewed Culture Cast to hear my wife Amy and, and me uh, doing our our thing as well. When, when should we expect that? Because honestly, I've never listened to that. I'm happy to, I don't really want to go back in time and re-listen to all that stuff because I don't have that kind of time, but I would like to listen yeah. to it going forward. So when do you expect that to be a thing? Well, uh, we're about to go on, well, tomorrow afternoon, Christmas afternoon, we're going to head up to New Mexico. And my guess is we will do some recording there cool. while we have some time and get started because I've already got a couple of interviews in the can. And uh, so uh, look for it in the, uh, in the new year. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, Christian, thank you again for your time uh, and for this text. And for those listening, please do go and buy this. this everyone likes to, to do a devotion throughout the year. Uh, and this one is is well worth well, well worth all of the time and energy. I'm, I'm greatly enjoying it personally. So I would encourage each of you to do the same. But thank you again, Christian. Appreciate it. Thanks, Seth. You took all my worry. You carried my shame. You lifted my entirely needed are conversations that press us and give us further depth of knowledge so that we can have conversations with those around us. And Christians surviving the Bible for this year does that. Music today provided by Loud Harp. You can find their most recent release, Everywhere Good Music is Sold, released in June of 2017. And as always, you'll find today's tracks on the Can I Say This at Church Spotify playlist. Tell a friend, rate and review the show. Talk with you next week.